Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. Kane is in the building. Hello, everyone. This is Jordan Edwards with Clocked In. I'm Jordan, and I'm the founder of Edwards Consulting. Edwards Consulting is a personal development, personal finance, one-on-one training where we help individuals find, develop the habits that they need first off, and then help them financially become abundant in regard to income and regard to credit and building themselves so that they can become the best versions of themselves. We touch on a couple different areas of life, mental health, physical health, community service, philanthropy, family, friends, and spirituality. But today, if you want more info, you can reach out. But today, we're focusing on our guest, who is Greg Morton, none other than 32 years at Citigroup. He's had a multiple array of different jobs, He concluded his career at Citi as Managing Director of Global Head of Service Center Networks, which is, there's actually 23 service centers all across the globe, and he was managing all of that. He's a family man. He enjoys golfing, travel, thoroughbred horses, and enjoys to run. So, Greg, how about you introduce yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thanks for uh, having me. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Yep. So we can kick it off. I think we should talk a little bit about how, what's your story? How'd you get to that elite level of managing director at City? Well, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not a complicated story, believe me. And uh, it's not one that I uh, uh, actually had a master plan about. I, uh, when I uh, went off to school, um, I chose a, uh, an academic path uh, that would never point to this at all. And uh, like a lot of people that I work with now, uh, especially just starting their careers, I had a career dilemma the day I graduated. Uh, and uh, my degree, my undergrad degree was in political science. And my first view was I was going to uh, 
uh, go to law school. That was a pretty typical thing. So I'm 61 years old. We're talking about 1977 when I started undergrad and uh, quickly found out that what I thought I was a good student in high school didn't translate into college. And uh, I enjoyed the whole 360 experience in college. I mean, uh, the biggest problem I had was uh, as a freshman, I lived in a dorm and I'd never had a refrigerator by my bed. So uh, to have beer, you know, at the ready certainly had a big impact in my academic performance uh, during my freshman year. So uh, the first thing is I had to learn to just discipline myself about having uh, having a refrigerator. So I wasn't that great a student. And where did you go to uh, school? I, I did like what I liked, though. So my major uh, activity around political science and history, I was really good at. But all the other stuff that you kind of have to do, um, I, I wasn't very good at that at all. So, uh, you know, le- the law school was kind of out uh, for me. And then the second thing that you would do with a political science or a public administration degree is you kind of go into government work. You almost like become a bureaucrat. And at the time, uh, when I graduated my undergrad, I got my undergrad in three years, um, was uh, Ronald Reagan had been elected president, and his whole goal was to shrink government. So there just weren't a lot of jobs in the government space. So I went on to graduate school and uh, did my uh, master's degree in public administration. And uh, again, that didn't necessarily lead to anything <laughs> anything more definitive so it was then just graduating and getting a job I mean that's just that's literally how it started I had a dilemma in my professional career because my degree uh, had had pretty low value at that point hope that makes sense yeah and two two more questions so what where'd you go undergrad and then graduate school both both were at Auburn Auburn okay And what was the goal of those degrees? Well, again, first of all, it was to, uh, I was going to go down two paths. I was either going to go down the path of being in government and ultimately maybe being a foreign service officer uh, in, uh, uh, as a kind of like a diplomat working okay. in a diplomatic corps okay. or a politician, literally being an elected official. Okay. And uh, so it was kind of both of those, both of those potential paths. And how how that lead you to city? <laughs> well, uh, when I graduated, it was literally about getting a job, just so I could feed myself. And uh, also, um, you know, you and I have talked in the past, uh, but uh, uh, it was also about paying off some credit card debt. Uh, coming out of college. So money was a big motivator right out front. And so uh, I got a couple of jobs just to make money. And then at that time, an entry-level job with City uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, paid better than what I was making in my other jobs. And it literally was getting on the telephone, talking to delinquent credit card customers. And uh, that's how it all started. I mean, and uh, funny little story, when I was interviewing, uh, I had this manager, this lady uh, was interviewing me, 
And at the end, she goes, you can do this job and you'd be really good, but I'm not going to hire you. And I said, why is that? She said, you're, you're really just trying to get a big company on your resume and you're not going to stick around a while. And uh, I don't want to be part of that. She didn't, she didn't want to kind of have that uh, hanging over her. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, is there someone else I can talk to? Uh, and basically let them know that that's not what this is about at all. And I'll give her credit, and, and she and I actually ended up being good colleagues, but I'll give her credit that she did bring another person in uh, to interview as well, and then I ended up getting a job. Uh, so that's how it all started. And what was that role? It was, literally was on a telephone talking to delinquent custom, uh, credit card customers. Oh, 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 the original. Yeah, that was it. Wow. That's that's crazy. The rest is wow. history. The rest is history, Jordan. <laughs> so, uh, how'd you make that progress? Well, I I think first of all, uh, I really you know maybe at the time I didn't uh, recognize this, but I was very fortunate in that that first job was literally about looking at the world through the customer's eyes. And a lot of companies now are always trying to be client centric or trying to get inside of what a customer really wants or what the trends are. But when you're talking to someone about their financial situation and they are in a tough spot, you learn a lot about them. And then to be successful in helping them and city had that kind of approach. It wasn't a collection, you know, hardcore. If you don't pay, we're going to sue. It was much more about how do we get you out of this jam? Uh, so as you're listening to people and what their situation is and what their circumstance, how did they get to that place? And then how can we negotiate and work through making something uh, happen positively? It gives you a perspective on, on your job and on life that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. And so as city and every company tries to be more client centric in their products and services, I never had to learn that because I learned it on the job. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's a major takeaway that a lot of people take for granted. They'll be in a job and they think the job's all they're really getting. But as Greg explained right there, you have to see what the job offers to people and where you can find value and where it all works. Cause the job description wasn't, Oh, Greg, you're going to go help people out of their financial situation. It was, you're going to call on them because they have bad credit and they need to pay the credit cards back. That's exactly right. And, it, and again, fortunate that city looked at it that way is like, you know, if you've got a person who's been a credit card customer for 10 years and you've made a bunch of money off them using your card. And then all of a sudden they lose their job for six months, nine months. You don't just throw them in a trash can. And we took that approach. It's like these people were really good for us. How can we help them get out of this jam? You know, repayment plans or, or lowering interest rates or whatever those things are. So that, that really stuck with me. But again, you know, as I went down the road, and I ran into people who specifically went through their college training and uh, got their MBA at Harvard or uh, uh, some of the other business schools. They never had 
that experience or that view of looking at it through the client eyes. They'd always have to go to a round table or do some market sampling. But, but it seemed like I could always come to the table with that client perspective. And that paid big dividends for me with City throughout the years. So client first is definitely very important. It was client, it was client first in the job I had. And, yeah. and this was like the, it, this would be the equivalent of being a mailroom clerk, being a collector on the telephone in the credit card business is as basic a job at city as you could get. And it's really the value you find in each of these jobs that you took. That's exactly right. And then it, and then it, from there, Joy, if you want me to get to continue, I mean, from there, it just went to a progression, a typical progression, uh, through the organization. Uh, but I can tell you, and we can get into this if you like, if I were to write my resume about the roles that I had throughout 32 years, I could get jobs in facilities management. I could get jobs as an auditor. I could get jobs as an accountant. I could get jobs as a project manager a technology firm I could get a job so even though it was one one company in the financial services the 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 to run that big thing um, the experiences that I got the roles that existed in a generic way they translated into multiple industries yeah makes sense yep. and that's what that's what really kept you at city I'm sorry. I, I think so. It's, uh, I mean, city, uh, was, it was like working for five or six different companies over 32 years. It was never the same. And I think that's relevant today because companies are having to redefine themselves at a very fast pace now. And city was probably every four or five years. Uh, that we were having to do this transformational work in our business model, uh, whereas today it might even turn over every year. Uh, but it never felt like working for the same place. It didn't. Okay. And what were some of the other roles you took to finally get to where you were? And did you have to look for these jobs, or were you getting tapped as you were going up the I think early on you would get tapped. I think that's pretty much gone away these days. Yeah. But whether you call it getting tapped or I had sponsors, yeah. you know, whether through my direct manager or, you know, uh, I don't, we didn't even necessarily call it mentoring back then. But if you had met someone and you were interested in, in their career and learning from them, then how do you, how do you get them to become a, a sponsor? in your career and, and a sponsor in your path. And so that, uh, you know, literally when a job came open in their group or another group, they, they could actually be somebody that you could use as a reference, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. But I, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I did a variety of things, um, you know, again, starting out as on the telephone to then being, uh, kind of the process manager of a group of people that did that job to running a group of those people to then running the multiple groups of those people. And then uh, I took a job in uh, working with our supply chain. I managed a bunch of vendors 
that we were contracted with. Uh, I, uh, I was an auditor for a period of time. I uh, was a controller or I was a CFO uh, for, for a period of time. I have no accounting background at all. But again, somebody would come up and say, hey, it's not that complicated, Greg. You, you, know, you can learn it. Why don't you go do this? It'd be great for your, uh, um, another piece in your uh, puzzle of building your career. Uh, and then you, and then, you know, you find these, these turns in your professional development, Jordan, and it's very different managing yourself than leading others. It's very different. And then when you start to lead leaders, that is the most complicated jump you ever make because when you get to the point where somebody's invested their career and they're a leader, they tend to think that they're smarter than anybody else. And so when you are trying to lead or manage someone who thinks that they know it all, then how do you get, how do you really work with them to to optimize and say, you know, there are more things that you can learn, more things that you can develop. And then you, you know, all the way up to where you're managing 23 executives across the globe, some of them directly, but a lot of them just through an influence model where you're trying to get everybody on board, but the management is really local uh, because of the different uh, rules and regulations in different countries. So how would you handle that, the influence model? You got to get people that, that really tests the, the quintessential leadership, which is getting people to rally around an objective, a mission, and having their input into how that gets done. So it's literally about selling a vision, selling a mission, selling a process, uh, because I had no authority. That was one of my greatest achievements was running this network with very few direct reports. It was literally about delivering and seeing uh, through on this broader, broader vision for the company. Yeah, and how'd you, so did you go and, from my perspective, let's start off with, can you explain the influence model? Yeah. And then we'll dive into, did you have to go to each of the places to set it up? Or how did that work? Because right now, Greg, you're explaining the managing director role where you managed all the 23 different service centers, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of at the end of the career. So you think about going from uh, being on the telephone as an individual yeah, to then having formal authority, managing a bunch of senior people who directly reported to you, to then ending my career with the biggest job I had, but yet I had the least amount of direct control over the people I was managing. Which is kind of wild. It's very, when it works, it's very fulfilling because it, it almost gets a little philosophical. Jordan, it's kind of like at the end of the day, if you're successful, they may not even know that you existed. Okay. Because then they, no problem they, they think yeah. they did it themselves. Yeah. Can you dive into that, that a little more? Huh? 
Can you dive into that a little bit more? <laughs> well, there's a uh, there's an old Chinese philosopher uh, called Lao Tzu, and uh, his is I'm not going to get this quote right, but it's like uh, he goes, uh, you know, when you set your ego aside and uh, you can accomplish great things, and when you die or walk away, the people that are remaining. Uh, think that they accomplished it all themselves, that they really don't associate it with you, but it really was what you, what you uh, brought to the table or you were driving. So, but it, when you're influencing it, in an influence model, it's basically how you get people on board because they want to be, not because you have the authority to force them to do it. Right. Yeah. So you got me to show you. You got me to come on this podcast. Yeah. I have. I don't owe you anything. You're not paying me anything. But I believe in what you're trying to do with with your firm and your clients, and uh, I want to be a part of that, just informally. Yeah. That's that. You influence me in some way that said, "Hey, I want to be a part of that." Yeah, and that's key with anyone. You have to see, like you were saying, the client perspective. You have to see how they view it. That's right. So for you to get, okay, I, ha- I want to get Greg on the podcast. How am I going to do that? Here are the values that he would find. Here's what he would find valuable. That, that, that's right. Exactly. That's it explains your whole progression. explains your career. You can people share people use terms like buy-in and things like that. But you, even when you have formal authority, you're going to have to get people bought into what you're getting done. But this is a little, a little bit more finesse in the sense of a shared vision, a shared uh, uh, desire uh, to achieve something. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Okay. And, then, and so it's, uh, it's nuanced, and, and, uh, but very satisfying if you can pull it off. And what was your approach to getting everybody on board? You, you listened a lot. Uh, you, uh, you synthesized a lot of different perspectives. And if you, if you can set aside it, doesn't have to be my way or I don't have the answers and then you go out and you talk to these folks that are going to be involved and you learn the unique perspectives that they have or the unique things that they can bring to this and you incorporate that and then almost like you do the work for them you, it, it's it, you're going to put a lot more into it in an influence model yeah <laughs> but it's like uh uh, all I need is your all I need is your input, Jordan. You don't need to do the administrative work. You need to, don't need to go run the task. We'll get that done. I just need you involved in in the picture making. Okay. It's about serving the other person. Yeah. So even though <coughs> even though you might be above them, job wise, it might be their boss. It's how can you help them and assist them in what they're trying to do, which is actually the mission that you're pushing forward. That's exactly right. So it's a whole different psychology game. 
the whole it, with I, don't, <laughs> I didn't necessarily go into it with a, a game in mind but yeah. if you but it but it is literally about having to be more it's almost back to the client centric how do i look at it through jordan's eyes not my eyes how do i look at it through umesh's eyes or uh, Amir's eyes or Consuela's eyes, not Greg's eyes. And when did you realize the value of others' perspectives throughout think, your career? And like, obviously, when you got to that job, you knew you needed it. But I think the most recent uh, kind of sticks with you, Jordan. But when you're working in a global environment, you know, there's a lot of talk today about diversity and inclusion and uh, how do we how do we become more sensitive to other people's perspective? If you're yeah. working in a global environment, that just comes with the job because you, you you get to see how culturally diverse the world really is. It's not a slogan anymore. It's not a set of words. It is a way of life, and uh, and you know you got to set aside these stereotypes of. You know, if you're from Central Europe, it, people look like this or behave this way. You've learned, learned very quickly those stereotypes fade away. And then you, 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 you just have to, you have to listen a lot. You have to be interested a lot. And if you're not interested, it it it's becomes, comes across very disingenuous. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think that's really fascinating that you – didn't take this because a lot of people what they do is they take the stereotypes that are given to them and that's how they form these thoughts in their heads and about different people but through the job and through your progression in city it caused you to go hey i have to go over to brazil and see what it's like there i have to go to hong kong i have to see what it's like there and you got to meet these people and make your own perspective Yes, different situations. Which is yeah, I, I'll give you a, I'll give you a kind of an example that you can relate to in in uh, some of your history. But you know, one of the things uh, in a global organization or any organization, you're trying to standardize things because it's more cost effective if everything's done one way. Uh, whether it's one software platform or one process design or one blah 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 this and one blah 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 that. Well, when you're looking working in a global environment, especially in the financial services where it's highly regulated, not just in the U.S. but around the world, you got to be able to comply to all the laws in that environment. Well, if you're working with someone who owns the process, all they care about is standardize it, make it one, because that makes their life easier and it's very cost effective. <clears throat> but the realities are not every one of these countries or these uh, geographies are going to have the same need or the same regulations to deal with that. So unless you go on the ground or unless you get their perspective on that, you won't see, you won't understand why the answer isn't just A. It's A plus plus or A or B plus plus. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You need to understand 
as the leader and as the boss, you have to understand what the people are and you're just there to provide a decision. That's right. So the people are the ones who are actually influencing you in the way and they, they people may not realize it, but when you go over there and you go, what is the equation here? Is it A plus B equals C or is it B plus A equals C? Yeah. Things are different. That's right. And they need to explain that to you. So once you fully understand that, then you can make the proper decision, which makes total sense. Well, and, and I'm sure uh, I'm, I'll make it a little bit more tangible and then we can move on. But I, I, so your folks uh, that you work with and may be listening to this can all relate to accounts payable. You know, if you're running a company, you got to buy goods and services and then you got to pay for them. And so one of the groups that I managed when I, when I lived in Europe uh, we were the accounts payable organization for all of Europe. Well, you would like everybody to be on the same platform. And when you're doing that, you know, uh, when you're paying for something, you've got taxes to pay on that, or you got to deal with uh, taxes on each uh, jurisdiction. And so I can remember Italy. Italy was like the last country that wanted to come onto the platform. And I just couldn't understand it. I just really couldn't understand it. And uh, the, the guy who was running the country, he would get on the phone, he would explain to me all the complications of the reporting of taxes in Italy. But until I went on the ground and saw the fact that if you went into a store in Italy, this is how the government behaved. If you were a tourist and you went into a store in Italy, in Rome, and you bought something, there might be some auditor from the government outside of that store asking to see your receipt because they needed to make sure that that merchant is actually collecting and paying sales tax. Oh, wow. On the ground. That's the way that their IRS would operate. Yeah. And now, how do you standardize reporting around that, my friend? <laughs> It's very – you get to the point where you can't because it's so – You really can't. Such a unique and situation. So, again, just that experience globally of how truly diverse the world is, both from people standpoint as well as from, you know, how, how business runs or how governments operate, uh, it, was, it was so invaluable. Yeah, I can imagine. Transitioning a little bit, yep. I, I think everyone's kind of curious, and you mentioned a couple different things, that you had multiple different jobs, you had, and they felt like they were very different on the whole, but what really was it that caused you to stay at City? Was there ever like an inclination of, I might want to leave, I might want to see if their grass is greener somewhere else, or... Because I know a lot of people get those thoughts going through their head when they're working somewhere, especially when they've been there for 30 plus years. I mean, there's got to be a point where it's like, I'm staying at City, this is my career. But there's an element in the beginning where you're like, oh, what else is out there? Am I valued more somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I do. I, uh, I don't want to over or understate the fact that. Um, most people in their career, they like to be challenged and they don't like to be bored and they do like to uh, see different levels of success or, or 
change in that and city always provided that. So I still, I wouldn't change that underneath that. I never got bored. I never felt stymied. Uh, and there are reasons behind that. We can talk about that. If you want to make a note, make sure I don't forget it, Jordan, but yeah. I never felt stuck ever. Now, some of that's of my own doing, and some of that is is of these sponsors I talked about or, or city's growth, but I never felt stuck. So, but yeah, I mean, I can, um, there were three times in the first half of my career where I literally got job offers to leave city. Okay. And uh, they were people that uh, I had either met who knew me in these other companies uh, or they were people who had formerly been with city and then they weren't went to work with those companies and they were reaching out with me and uh, money was always better in those other jobs. Uh, but just the, the, the due diligence around the work environment uh, not being stuck at city um, tended to win the way. City was, and it sounds like I'm, I'm doing an advertisement for a career at City, but at that time, you know, City was a, a global uh, standard that everybody kind of looked up to. So um, it, it would have had to have been real sweet, and and those three opportunities just just weren't enough. And and I I will have to admit it the the people element's a big deal I don't I don't uh, uh, there was some loyalties more to people than to city Jordan I mean I had some really strong uh, managers that I looked up to really strong mentors that I looked up to inside a city and uh, that carried a lot of weight and value in my decision making yeah so that was going to be my next question so you. When you started, it was all about the money. Yes. And it was this, I, I need to pay off my thing. I got to pay my bills. And there's a lot of people there. Yep. And I think early in the career, a lot of people are at that point. But when did the change happen for you where it wasn't about the money? It was about designing your life in, and designing your career in a, in a sense. I think it, it was probably... Uh, the third job I had at City. And that was where I was faced with really kind of the first uh, dilemma where I took a $6,000 a year pay cut, or probably better to describe it as a 25% pay cut to reposition my career with City. So I had been with City for a little over three years, maybe three and a half years. And at that time, just to simplify it, I was paid by the hour. So as long as I was willing to work a bunch of hours, I controlled how much money I was making. But then to get into that next job, it was that first exempt role or that first, you know, uh, professional, the way City looked at it as a professional role that here's your base salary. And that base salary literally was $6,000 less than what I was making at that time. And so I really had to sit down and say, is this the path that I want to go down now? And the role had certain attributes to it that were going to help me 
uh, long term, like I would be managing a group, leading a group. So it, it, it had that element of it. It would give me access uh, to decision makers in the organization that I had never had before. Uh, it, uh, it was, it was a, a role that, uh, I don't know, a little bit of ego on my standpoint. Jordan, you know, kind of have a little title out there at that time. I won't, I won't lie to you. So sometimes you do have that element in there. <coughs> but uh, that was really the pivot for me saying, hey, I want to see how far I can take this with City. Okay, so that was the full jump. And that, yep. just to explain to the people, so before you were doing hourly work, which you can get overtime eligible so you can make more That's- money. That's exactly right. You know, you could, you worked your 40 hours and there was, and at that time city was growing a lot. So you, you could always work as many hours you wanted to at city. And so that was pretty consistent. So the way I looked at it at that time is, Hey, I could do this role and take a $6,000 hit and position myself toward a commitment with city and let this play out or stay where I am and just make as much money as I could until something else came along. Yeah. And that, that's a very interesting decision. Yep. It was. Um, yeah, no, because a lot of people, I know a lot of people that just chase the money and wouldn't be open to that. But when you well, have more variables. When you and I were talking about getting on this, podcast together you know we were talking about what, what we wanted to like lessons learned or uh i don't i don't like to give advice to people i don't know yeah because that i like to understand someone's perspective on the world before i take advice from them and it's very difficult uh that's not what this topic is today yeah uh, but uh if you don't know how i look at the world then the advice that i would give has limited value so, but uh, uh, making that decision and making that pivot, uh, I was out of credit card debt at that time. I wouldn't have made that same decision with that debt over my head. So one of my lessons learned, and, and I'm not just preaching to people, Yeah, it is subconsciously weighing on you and decisions you make in your life based on your financial situation. It doesn't appear that way, but it does. It eats at you and it will, it will alter decisions and the direction of your career based on whether you're working to pay a debt or working to live. It's two different things. So I guess we can go down this hole a little bit. <laughs> it is a hole. It is a whole, but it, but I do do, we do a lot of stuff with financial literacy and it's super yeah. important. So what do you think would be the best? Obviously people go, don't use a credit card, but that's not correct. No. Nope. Um, so how would you advise that? Or like, what what is your opinion on that whole situation? I'll, I'll give you my opinion. I just want anybody who listens to this, Jordan. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything that they haven't heard before. I'm not going to say anything that doesn't come across as trite. Yeah. But, you know, all those things, when someone says live below your means. Yeah. 
that's very powerful. And that's actually how you can make a lot more money or be a lot more successful in your career because you're not ridden. You don't have something holding you down, debt or financial obligation or anything. It's, it, there's this class I teach uh, called Professional Discovery. Anytime you sign your name to something, go into that with your eyes wide open because when you're signing your name, and I'm not talking about just a credit card receipt or just a contract or even a marriage license. So when you sign your name to something, it's not you anymore. It's not, it, it, it is something that you're going to have to, it has consequences uh, with it. And so sign it with your eyes wide open. That's all. Okay. So just so be very have, aware. It'll have an impact on the next decision you make. Yeah. And most people don't see that as it is. That, 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 that's right. It, it's, it's subconscious. It just gets buried. But when you sign your name, it's different. It's, you know, again, I love my wife, and uh, uh, I choose uh, to be with her every day. And I'm glad she chooses to be with me every day. But it's not just me living anymore. It's the two of us. Yeah. And that, that's very different. Because I can tell you, if I were by myself, I'd be living very differently than I live today. Yeah. You ever heard of Abaco Island? No. Where is that? It's in the Bahamas chain. I'd probably be down there <laughs> living off the grid, Jordan. <laughs> Dropping off. I don't want to see anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But Faith wouldn't have that, and I couldn't live without her. So it's uh, it works. But it's it's just you're you're creating a partnership with that credit card company if you owe them. You're yes. creating a partnership with that mortgage company. You're creating a partnership with that automobile finance company. You're and creating you, all that. You're not alone anymore in decision making. Exactly. I completely agree. And even bigger today is student loans. And a lot yeah. of people don't make the decision because when they apply to go to college, they just go, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'll make a bunch of money when I get out. Not not exactly true. <laughs> not exactly. And again, it, it's all it's all relative. Yeah. Uh, student loan debt is good if you've thought through the rest of it. Student loan is bad if you, if you didn't think through the rest of it. And it's a lot just, of. Yeah, and a lot of that is not somewhat of the parent decision while the kid is 18. If we're going to go a regular progression, the kid's 18. He doesn't know what he wants. Like, he's never made a real dollar, so he's just like, I'll sign up for whatever. I don't care. And it's a little terrifying. And, and those, those aren't lessons in a vacuum where you learn once either, Jordan. Because I've had to learn that and experience that two or three times in my life. I mean, you know, I got a grasp on it early on, but then I would lose it. You know, I can remember, uh, we'll talk about mid-career, uh, like the first time that uh, my first managing director job. Okay. Let's just say I was probably about 40 years old, 40, okay. 42 years old. Well, all of a sudden, I'm making a nice base salary, and for the first time in my life, I, was, I had access to pretty large bonuses based on how City was performing. So that was when you were really becoming part of the management team. Yeah. All of a sudden, having that extra car 
seemed to be the right thing to do. <laughs> Having that a little bit more square footage in the house seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, you know, those stock options, you know, I was looking at them going, Hey, I got, you know, I'm doing okay. I got all these stock options. And then reality sets in in 2008 city almost went bankrupt. Yeah. And the stock that I owned at city went from $60 a share to 95 cents a share. So that's one sixtieth of your net worth. One sixtieth, and if anybody follows City, who's listening to this, then the stock the stock did a reverse split. So <laughs> the City stock would have to trade at six hundred dollars a share for me to get back to where I was in two thousand seven. Because it was a ten to one, right? It was ten to one reverse split. Yeah. So the reverse split is basically when they. They're nervous that the stock's going to go under, which is when you're under a dollar for too long, they'll take you off the exchange. That's right. And essentially you go bankrupt. Um, so what they'll do is a reverse split where if you have 10 shares, your 10 shares are now equal to one share. And that, uh, that stock individual that you have is now worth $9.50 exactly. per share. So, so everybody, like when I when I left City last year and retired, uh, the people who had joined City in the last few years, they were talking about how great the stock was and blah blah blah. It had grown by X percent and all that. I said, yeah, just wake me up when it hits six hundred dollars, and then we can have a conversation. So, but yeah. my whole point was, you've got to constantly have that discipline. You, you can't you can't get caught up in it. You just can't, and it's it's uh, it's something you just got to be vigilant on. Every time, you know, I, I had a, uh, I've had good advice and bad advice over the years. Like when I was in college, I was in like this sales organization and the manager of that place said, oh, you should have debt. If you have debt, that'll make you work harder. You know, you'll sell better if you, if you know that you've got obligations. That's hokey. That's just crazy. And the good advice I've had is, Anytime you get a raise, take the raise and invest it. Take the raise and save it. Don't build your life off that raise. Yeah. Oh, don't level your life up. That don't level your life up. Keep your life, keep it flat. You know, you're always going to have situations where you do a little bit more, but keep it flat and then just bank, bank the other stuff, and you'll be amazed at how much that will actually do for you financially down the road. Yeah, and you have to realize the compounding interest and saving over years and years and years. Exactly right. You're going to look at it and go, I can buy whatever I want, slash I can live however I choose because I'm not in a contract with the with the creditors. Yeah. Exactly. I love that advice. It makes perfect sense to me, and I think it's very valuable for everyone to hear it themselves. So – what do you think were some of your biggest lessons you learned over the 32 years? Maybe uh, like top two or three. Top two or three. I, I think, first of all, um, when there's a problem, when there's a problem either in the group that you're working with or in your work, you just got to be really honest about it. You can't, you know, I, I had situations where, um, uh, didn't want to share the bad news, so to speak. And uh, that's just, that's just bad. It's just bad on a lot of fronts. And it's never as bad as you think it is. 
unless you try to ignore it or avoid it or cover it up. That's a, that's a nasty sounding word, but always be transparent in uh, the status of a situation. Really key. Okay. I think the second one is be as flexible as you can. Be is, uh, whether you call it in the flow of change, do not be resistant to the change. You just, you got to kind of get in the flow of things, be part of the change. You, you can't swim upstream. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Cause I, even as we're seeing in the world today, things are constantly changing. And like you were saying with 08, things just happen and you got to figure out how to work through them. You got, you got to work through them and, and it's inevitable. Crisis is inevitable. Change is inevitable. Uh, and, and you just, you kind of, I don't want to say go with the flow, but you gotta, you gotta get into the movement. If you, you can't put up a wall. Yeah. And then uh, last, uh, in, in terms of, of that, if you don't like what you're doing, get out of it. If you, if you really aren't enjoying what you do, it's not worth doing. It's not good for the organization that you're part of, and it's not good for you. Uh, and It's just like we were talking about financial uh, soundness and, and debt and things like that. Professional um, uh, frustration or animosity, you, you're not covering it up. You're, you're either hurting yourself or you're hurting your teammates or you're hurting your organization. So if you're, if you're not satisfied, uh, you need to do something different. Okay. And what, so obviously I understand the third one is if that's the only variable, right? Yep. Now, if there were outside variables, then it could change it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if there are outside variables, then you need to you need to have a uh, a plan. You need to have a plan okay. B, or you need to be working on a parallel uh, solution or a parallel path. Okay, and that's in regard to becoming an entrepreneur or getting out of credit card debt and moving to that next job. So that's what. Greg means by that, and yeah, it's 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 if you're, uh, I never believe anyone's stuck. I don't, but if you're in a situation that you need to change because you you it's it you're not you don't like what you do, you're not motivated by what you do, you think you've exhausted uh, all the avenues for that, then you need to find a a parallel path if there's not a uh, immediate answer to how you get out of that. You do. You just have to. Yeah, I really like that. Thanks a lot. By the way, George, anytime I use the term you, I'm really talking to myself. I'm not talking to you or uh, the people that might be listening. It, I, I'm, I'm someone who really is talking to Greg because uh, that's the only person I can really affect. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? I, I just, uh, I, uh, I'm very aware of 
both internally and externally the impact that I'm having. And uh, so I spend most of my time analyzing and evaluating uh, what I'm doing, where I am, the impact that I'm having on others. Yeah. So through that, I've just created this habit. It's, I didn't consciously, but I'm talking to myself and it's either internally where it doesn't come out of my mouth or externally. I say, you know, when I say you, Greg, don't ever feel stuck somewhere. I'm not really, I don't know you, Jordan, uh, yeah. in terms of how you make decisions, but it's, I, it's me I'm really giving advice to. Yeah, because you're reiterating it to yourself to know that you're going in the right direction. That's right. That's that's awesome. With the conditioning and everything, it makes total sense. So you mentioned a little bit before that at City you never felt stuck. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? What, what do you mean by you never felt stuck? Because you said the key to a good career is enjoying the challenge and never being yep. bored. And how did City stop you from keep you feeling that way like where you were never in a rut or etc i don't well, i don't think it was just city i think it was uh perspective uh that uh you know i brought to it as well so it wasn't, wasn't just city i mean city was growing and has grown and and it uh it's like i said earlier it redefines itself which kind of keeps it somewhat fresh but yeah. uh also uh, once I made these commitments, you know, uh, and, and then you, you're not tied down or you're not stuck because of things we've already talked about, yeah. it's like, you know, if an opportunity came up, I really didn't, I wasn't geographically tied to any place. So, you know, if I was in Atlanta, Georgia working and an opportunity came up in Kansas city, Missouri, uh, even with my family, we didn't mind moving to Kansas city and experiencing that for a while or Dallas, Texas or Cincinnati, Ohio or London or Budapest, you know? So being open to going where the opportunity or where the change was, uh, paid, uh, a lot of dividends for me. And do you think that's what allowed you to, succeed while some others may have been in that crediting may have started out their career at the same place as you, but they didn't end up where you were. I do think that's a big factor that, uh, I, you know, I, I was pretty much open to a lot of different, uh, geographies. Um, that's one element. The other element, you know, if I were repositioning myself, Jordan, it's like when you move from, one group um, horizontally, like I was, you know, early in my career, I was managing a group of a team. Yeah. <clears throat> but then an opportunity came over. I, I mentioned it earlier to work in vendor management. I didn't get a promotion to go from left to right. That was just a different dimension I didn't have in my playbook. Yeah. And there was an opportunity at that same level uh, to be a project manager, which I had never done before. And so being, having the ego to say, it's not always a vertical movement, but a horizontal movement that, that builds out your resume or your experiences or even your network. 
getting to work with people that you hadn't worked with before, broadening yeah. your who knows you and who you know. Yeah. It's a big deal. Definitely. The broadening of horizons and seeing different things. And to explain to the listeners, a uh, I mean, Greg explained it pretty well, but a horizontal move is the same level. So there's no pay. You probably won't get a pay raise. It's pretty much, it's the same exact level that you're at, but it might be with a different group. And yeah. the vertical is going from, that's the promotion that most people desire as I'm getting paid more. I get more days off. I get more this, that, and the other. Yeah. So, so Jordan, maybe just real quickly, and, and I probably did a poor job of this up front, but yeah. um, you know, I, I did, uh, I did leave city a year ago. So when I was 60 years old and I hadn't even told my wife, but, I'd already said in my mind that by the time when I was 60, I was going to leave city. And I actually retired on my birth 60th birthday, March 18th of last year. Uh, and, you know, again, that's just a, it's one of those flags in the ground. But the last six years of my career, I mean, I was fairly senior person in one of the largest companies in the world. And I don't say that from an ego standpoint, but, just to put it in perspective, by that time, managing this network of sites, that I, 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 I could do that in my sleep. I, I just knew I built the thing myself. So I knew how it worked and it was, it was going to sustain itself. I had a great opportunity to then work with the next generation of leaders at City, really young people in their careers. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was kind of like I was unshackled. So I just, I spent most of my time with the very entry point to the organization. And I had a lot of fun. It was the best five or six years, really, in my career. And through that, you know, you would, I had the opportunity to, to work with folks where they were going, I knew they were going to mess up. But what I would do is I would never put them in a position where they could fail. They could make mistakes, but they weren't ever going to fail. And they certainly weren't going to create any financial hardship on the city. But outside of that, I'll allow them to kind of make decisions inside of that. And uh, so I, I, I kind of got to pick what I worked on. And then I got, kind of got to pick who got to do the work. Okay. And so then, you know, I got to spend time like uh, I was based out of Tampa, Florida. And we had a big site and it was growing and I was actually running that site myself. And uh, one of the things we needed to do was have a better way for people to start at city, you know, straight out of college or, or at the very beginning of their career. So I spent most of my time in, in working on that. And so I got a lot of experience and I learned a lot of, from people who are 21, 22, 23 years old about how they look at the world. And I can tell you, a lot of people that may be listening to this, it's not about the next jump up. That's going to be very frustrating. It is about a 360 resume that you can present to people, especially in today's climate. And they're not, a lot of people aren't willing 
to go from one unit to another unit laterally because the expectation is I'm not going to get out of my comfort zone in this group to go work with that group when I'm not, you're not going to pay me anymore, not going to give me a title. And that's a flawed approach to your career. Now, more so than when I was even growing up. It's flawed. Interesting. You've got to be willing to go sideways. I ran into so many people, you know, 25, 26 years old. Oh, I want to be a VP. I want to be an AVP. I want to be a blah, 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 blah. I thought, I really thought we were past the point of these titles. Yeah. And more about, am I doing work that's purposeful for me and really is kind of connected to something that I really am passionate about? And uh, so, again, I don't like to give advice to people I don't know, but that's a flawed model. It won't work. Yeah. Because you constantly feel that as if you're chasing something. You always are chasing it. And I think that's part of, uh, you know, we're surrounded with this whole comparing ourselves to everybody else online all day. Yeah. And I think that's just a bad drug to take. It definitely is. It doesn't do anyone any benefit at all, especially from the social media. Like, yeah, you might get a high when someone likes or agrees with your opinion. But when you see someone doing something and you think you can do it better, it doesn't. And you're not encouraged by them or you're encouraging them. It doesn't help at all. Nope, it doesn't. And But that reinforces. That's kind of back to that, what we were talking about, you know, when how your decisions are affected by things that are almost sub unconscious or subconscious inside of you. Yeah. That's another one right now because the conditioning that we're exposed to every day of uh, you got to compare or you got to, you got so many choices out in the world. That's frustrating as hell. And it's a flawed model. So, you mentioned that people should take new jobs and should take lateral movements. What else do you think would fix that model of the comparison of, oh, I have a buddy, he makes double the amount of money as me. Is he more successful than I am? Like, it's tough because everyone comes in at the same time and they're all, it's supposed to be a progression. Like, You've been in this role for a year, you do this, now you've been there for two years, you make this jump, lateral, but they're not, not everything's a CPA firm. No, it's not. Life is very, very different, and you build your own turns, and you build your own jumps sometimes. But well, again, I would, when, I, when I would work with people, I, I would challenge in their own thinking. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 would, I don't think anybody wants to contradict themselves. Would you agree with that, Jordan? No one, no one wants to contradict themselves. So if you sat down and I talked to you, I'll just talk to you, Jordan. I know you better than anybody else that's yeah. listening. So if I'm talking to you and say, so Jordan, um, do you like to think of yourself as an independent person that, that uh, you, you're not, you don't have to uh, be beholding to your neighbor on your left or your right, that you really want to stand on your own two feet? Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. 
then why do you care what they think about you? Why would you compare yourself to them? Because if you're independent, if you're one of one, then why do you want to be one of three? On there you just contradicted yourself. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It definitely I mean, is. Who, who defines success for Jordan? Jordan. Did he? Your neighbor? The guy online? Kim Kardashian? Who defines? You, you told me you're an independent person. You're an independent thinker, but you're going to be defined by that? Exactly. So you can you can you can define yourself by how your neighbor does, or you can define yourself by who you are and what you do. Exactly, and one of the best gauges for that is comparing yourself month over month, week over week, year over year with the journaling, because then you can see the progression that you've made, even if you're in the same role. That, that, that's right. And I, and I, and I uh, the reason I say this with such authority is at one point I probably thought that's just part of the maturation process, Jordan, or okay. as you get older, you may look at life differently. That's yeah. not true. It's not true at all. It's a matter of, are you going to look at life honestly? Okay. And if you look at life honestly, and because and, when I ask you the question, do you want to define who you are? And you say, yes, that's honest. But then if subconsciously or in your day-to-day uh, -day life, you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else or someone else's standard, then you just con contradicted what, what you said. Yeah. City defined me early on, but City didn't define me uh, the last two-thirds of my career. And I would have been a lot better rounded person the sooner I could say I'm going to make sure I'm defining myself. Now, I'd like to talk about that a little more. How did you define yourself? So there's many people that are inside of a job. Yep. With that job, they associate, oh, I work at Citigroup. I'm, applaud me. <laughs> but you're yeah. really a person. Like, the, the job has nothing to do with who you really are. So I ask you, how did you first have that separation? And then second, how did you do that inside of your work and inside of Citigroup? Well, it's a, there's a long answer to that. I'm, I'm, I probably have already bored people, uh, Jordan, but it, 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 it takes that time of, of uh, sitting down and going through the exercise of who am I? And I, I meet a lot of people and I mentor a lot of people and they struggle with that answer of who am I and what do I want? I can remember I can remember meeting a guy who just graduated uh, from uh, the local university here. And we were in a session. You know what he was, he really wanted to be was what? a drummer. And he, he came to work for a global bank. But he, wow. but he, but he wanted to be a drummer. 
mean, really, when he put his mind to it, what he was passionate about is he wanted to be a drummer. So how do you do that? How do you realize that? And he just, and the, my whole point is he just hadn't gone through the process of am, examining truly what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? What, it, you know, there's, I can give you a list of probably 10 questions to ask yourself, you know, um, it can start out with something like if money was no object, if you had, you had unlimited resources, how would you spend your days? Or the old, we can go to the other end of the spectrum and say, um, if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you want to be doing? And so it really gets to the heart of defining who you are first. And then what is it that I want out of life? And then start talking about how am I going to go about doing that? And then once you kind of answer those first three questions, you say, well, what principles am I going to apply? You know, how uh, am I going to treat puppy dogs really nice or am I going to be a mean old puppy dog person? It's, you know, what are the principles that I'm going to kind of hold my life to? And I just don't see a lot of people that go through that. Yeah. And that's definitely because throughout society, there's so much outside pressure to go. I went to college. Now you need to show return on that investment of getting a job and maintaining that job so that you could pay for your own well-being. And there's many people who don't take the time to look at themselves and realize who they really are, like you're discussing. So with you, what are some of the principles that you found that you hold on to, even at this age throughout your whole career and experience of just learning who you are? Well, I, I do know this and, and I'll, I won't uh, give you the whole, uh, there's not that many, but I'll try to give you a little trick. First of all, I get my greatest jazz out of seeing other people be successful. I, I know that about myself. I really, uh, just like to see other people get what they want out of life. And uh, I encourage people to reflect on that. Secondly is uh, I'll never lie. I just never lie to anybody. And, and I can recall a lot of circumstances in my life where it pops in your mind. It's like, well, why don't I just tweak this answer a little bit? And I let that principle stand up. Um, I like, you know, I, you know, like I ask in terms of principles. It's that honesty to others. It's uh, serving others. Uh, it's uh, being, um, knowing that every relationship you have, I won't say, you know, a lot of people will default and say family, but know that every relationship that you have, you're not doing it because of blood. You're not doing it because of some marriage certificate that you signed. You're doing it because you really want to do it. I, I, I tell this story uh, and I've, I've never said it in front of my wife, but uh, you know, I, I jog every morning and uh, 
one of the final things I do when I finish my jog is, am I going to go back in that house where my wife is? Am I choosing to go be with her or am I just going to keep running? And every morning I can go in there and she may still be asleep and I can kiss her on the cheek and say, I chose to come back home today. Not because of an obligation, but because I wanted to. That's very different. So always be where you want to be, doing what you want to do. That's my key principle. As long as you don't hurt somebody else. Yeah, I love that principle because it really reiterates that, yeah, I mean, there's sometimes that are bad days, some days that are good days, but you have to realize, because when you do that test with yourself, you realize how grateful you are for her being there and having that opportunity and living that life. That's right. And it's not even that, but it's also relating to your work. If you enjoy your work, you become more grateful for that. And you realize that each day is a blessing and you could die. Like not you, but I mean, everyone can die tomorrow. Like anything's possible. So you might as well try to find what, as you said, jazzes you up, like gets you excited. What, what keeps you happy and keeps you flowing and really pushing you to be the best you can, but also find that fulfillment you need. Uh, and the main thing is for you to define what best is. What, exactly. what, is, what, is, what is your definition of success? I, I, I don't, it should be individual, individually based. You know, I, I've run into people. It, I know people who choose not uh, to, uh, to have a lot of material things. You know, they, they, uh, they, they want to live a life where they uh, have the flexibility in their schedule. They, they don't have to travel around for their work or uh, whatever those things are. It's, it's, but it, you got to consciously say, what is it that I want? What is it? Who is it that I'm trying to be? I want to be. Exactly. And there's so much time that we never, everyone spends so much time living their life and doing their job that no one ever spends time planning their job. Like not planning their job, I mean planning their life. Like you might go on vacation and you could plan a couple days in advance, but you have your whole life to live and you don't want to make a decision on what's your strategic steps or who are you really and what do you align with? It's pretty ironic. That's correct. Well, I think that uh, that term ironic, Jordan, is really the point I'd want to get across. Be, just be true to yourself. And, and again, back to the question, it's like, uh, do you want other people to define how you run your life? And 99.9% of the people that I've engaged with would say, no, I want to do that. Then why are you going to let someone else define success? Why are you going to let a company define success? Why are you going to let your family define success? Why are you going to let some social media influencer define success? You yeah. just told, I trust you, and you just told me you want to be free. You want to be you. You want to be the yeah. fullest you can be. But then over here, you just introduced a bunch of other people that you're allowing them to define it. That right there puts you in a frustrated place because it's a contradiction. Definitely. 
And when you're living life with that contradiction, you're never going to be the wholest you and be happy and be embracing those relationships, embracing everything because there's always a conflict going on inside. That's just, that's like in the back of your mind, you're never going to say I'm working, I'm doing this job because I'm in credit card debt. But subconsciously you are. If you're not in alignment, you are going (laughs) to, you're going to be frustrated and those will just define decisions for you. And that comes to the normal. I wish I had a longer weekend. I can't do this day. Like I need to enjoy myself. Like work is too stressful. It comes. I I bet there, I don't know how many uh, people will choose to listen to this, Jordan, but uh, if there's just 10, there's at least three people of the 10 that come Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. They're absolutely miserable and dreading having to wake up on Monday morning to go back to work. Exactly. And that's not, you're not hiding it. No, you're not. Reflection at all. Yeah. It's not a place to be. It's not a way to live. And even, even now with it being a little easier because people are working from home, but that working somewhere where you really hate, or you feel still, like you, you, got, you still got to log in Monday morning. Yeah. You start dreading it. So then all of a sudden from three o'clock Sunday afternoon until you log in the next morning, you're miserable. And no one wants to be around you. And like, you could have a very nice evening. Yes. It's crazy. Do what you want to be. Do what you want to do. Don't hurt others. Those are the kind of principles I have. So Greg, you've left us with, a ton of advice, a lot of stuff that I think the listeners and myself, I, I've been taking notes the whole time, um, that will really make a difference in my life and everyone who listens to it. But I ask you one last thing. What is one? Uh, so with Edwards Consulting, we're all about action steps. So we have a meeting, you got to take an action step. So what action step do you think would be best for the listener to do? I have one that I really like. I think the uh, if everyone after this podcast could just write down what their definition of success is, I think that's a huge first step. But what what do you think it would be? I, I think that's a great one, Jordan. And there's there's no one answer to this, but uh, I'll just tell you what I do. Okay. Every Sunday, I go to the beach. I live in near Sarasota, Florida. I go to the beach and I sit there and let's just say this was day one. I sit there and, and I know this sounds so esoteric, but who am I? Am I where I want to be? Am I doing what I want to do? Do I know what I want to do? Have I thought about how I want my life to play out? And that could equal success. If you're able to live the life that you want to live, but have you ever really sat down and said, what is that? I'm not talking about a career plan. I'm talking about your life. How do you want your life to be? And you can have, like I said, you can search it and you can Google search a bunch of questions to ask yourself when you do it. But what is, who is Jordan? Who is Greg? And what makes me happy? And go through that exercise. And then 
every Sunday. I just allow that to take me down different paths. And now that I've been doing that for a lot of years, there's all sorts of little offshoots of that same question. And it also helps me to recalibrate. But literally, whether you sit down and talk about success or answer that question, but sit down and literally think through. Don't, don't, don't even worry. In a perfect world, what would that look like? And when you do that activity, do you, do you journal it or it's just uh-huh. that? No, I journal it. Okay. And that, that's, what I, I, that's what I thought you did. And the reason the importance of the journal is so that if you date it, you could date each of your um, thoughts and reviews of yourself and you can find the changes in how the progression has been made. Uh, I bet uh, you, you have uh, one from years ago, right? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole other discussion, but it's like every, you know, that Sunday morning, did I make any critical decisions this week about my life? Yeah. Did I make any critical decisions in the past and how did they play out? Yeah. So I, I, I also, you know, as I'm reflecting on things that I have done or things that I want to do or direction that I want to go, having that journal so it, it is a record and almost like a commitment that you can reference there. It's very, very powerful. Completely agree. Yeah, Greg, I, this has been phenomenal. And I'm, I think I've gained a lot of value from it. And I know the listeners probably will as well. well um, I'm sure I ran on, uh, Jordan, but uh, it's, you know, when you're, you got a lot, when you're 61, you got a lot of stuff that you'd love to, be able to spit out there so i apologize if i rambled no no it was awesome it was that we dived we went a bunch of different topics and i really enjoyed the entire process of it because none of it goes in the direction i thought at all which is the coolest (laughs) part well if i can ever help let me know and uh i uh i get a lot of joy out of doing that and it's it's uh it's not that complicated it really isn't and I think I'm the one thing, uh, you know, I have a 32 year old son and I'm so optimistic about the world. There's so many bad things that are going on right now, but that's the nature of things. It's, it's this, if you say we're in a crisis right now, whether it's a health crisis or a, a social crisis or whatever, that, that really to me is always a sign that things are going to change. Things There is huge opportunity when a crisis occurs. I've seen it in my career. I've seen it in the company that I worked with. Crisis is an opportunity. And if, and if I, and I just, I don't, nobody knows me, but I can tell you at the darkest moment is where the greatest chance to make a leap happens. Yeah. I love that mindset and association 100% because so many people view this as the demise. The world's been going on for many thousands of years. Yep. It's going to keep going on. There's been many epidemics. There's yep. been many racial injustice. And we just have to continue on and see where it goes. But you can't get caught up in that action. You can't get caught up in it. And, but just look. If, if You can't get caught up. Just, just look at it in the sense that this is an opportunity. It's not a bad thing. It is an opportunity to make a difference and make a change. A positive one for that. Yeah, well. exactly. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for staying on to the end of the podcast. Now, since you're at this point, I really hope you enjoyed your time with us and that you'll give us a subscribe and a five-star review. It really makes a world of difference. Now, if you want to learn more about us, you can go to Edwards underscore consulting on Instagram. Toss us a follow, learn more about what we're doing. And I really hope everyone keeps clocking in and we have a great day. Great rest of the week. Live in the same building, but we got different views. I got a couple cars I never get to use. Don't like my women single. I like my chicks and twos. And these days, all the girls are down the road. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.